Hello again. Uh, We've been talking about covenants over the last couple of Sundays, and we've been doing so mostly through the lens of this covenant that God makes with Abraham, and this covenantal relationship that that God enters into with with Abraham and Sarah. So we've been looking at that and then connecting that to what we find in in our covenant with Christ and, and what we find as as members of, of this new covenant in Christ. Because Paul tells us that, that as, as a part of this new covenant, we are Abraham's seed. We are, we are the spiritual descendants of Abraham, if you will. And therefore, he says, we are heirs according to the promise, according to the promise that began way back then in Genesis, a promise that now flows through the rest of of Scripture and flows through this new covenant that we are a part of in Christ. And so we've been trying to look then at at some of the connections between the two and and what we can maybe draw from from this old covenant, from from this covenant that that God makes with Abraham to, to see what that may mean for us as part of this new covenant in Christ. And so today then we're going to finally arrive with where I originally said we were going to start, if you remember a couple of weeks ago, we're finally going to get to this passage in Ephesians 2. So, yay, we made it. We're here. Well, sort of. Not yet. We've still got some more work to do before we get there. Uh, And so, to sort of help us out with that this morning, because we're going to do a little more looking at at the Old and the New Testament today, and, and to help us out, as we bounce back and forth, because we're going to do a little more bouncing back and forth today than we have been doing, I thought it might be helpful to to bring in another voice, to bring in a a guest speaker of sorts who could could join me and kind of help us to to keep some of these things separate as we go through. And so as as we bounce back and forth between the Old and the New Testament, I thought this might be helpful to kind of help us uh, see some of the connections and, and to see some of the themes and the concepts and the topics that we see in both the Old and the New Testament, but to maybe help this, this story be a little easier to follow and to help us as we jump back and forth. I thought it might be helpful to, to have someone up here with me to, to help walk us through this this morning. And so I'm going to handle the Old Testament stuff today. And I'd like to invite our special guest to come and and join us now, who will handle the New Testament stuff. So good morning, and thank you for joining us. Hey, thank you for inviting me. Uh, You're very welcome. You know, I mean, truthfully, I'm just glad (laughs) to not be here by myself for a change. Uh, You know, it's been so weird doing this alone that I've actually started talking to myself over the last few weeks. I know the feeling. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, so, so if we go back a little bit in Abraham's journey, back to when he was still Abram, and, and he and his family are, are traveling to Canaan, there comes a point when they realize that they simply have too many people and livestock in one place for the land that they are, are taking up to support all of them. And so that leads to some tension then and some fights between Abram's people and 
his nephew Lot and Lot's people. And so Abram lets Lot choose where he would like to live. Say that five times fast. Uh, He lets Lot choose the direction he would like to go and lets Lot settle in an area, or or, excuse me, Lot, I got lets Lot on the brain now. Um, Lot settles in an area that looks fertile and good. Lot ends up pitching his tent near Sodom. Yeah, and in the New Testament, Peter says that decision weighed on Lot and, and took quite a toll because what looked appealing turned out to be quite a mess of a landing spot. And even though Lot and his daughters were spared from the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, the lawless and depraved conduct of those around them caused Lot great distress and ended up costing his wife her life. <laughs> yeah, he was, he was probably a little salty about that one for a while. Oh, no, too soon? Oh, sorry. Uh, but while Lot settled near Sodom, Abraham ended up pitching his tent near the great trees of Mamre. And these trees then keep showing up in his story as this place where, where God's presence is felt. Abraham even ends up being buried around that same location. And so while, while Lot is distressed because he is near Sodom, Abraham finds comfort and peace amongst these trees because he has chosen to remain near God. And imagery and and metaphors of trees show up continually throughout Scripture. And the idea of a tree being connected to the presence of God shows up again in Revelation, where we find this imagery of the tree of life. In part of his revelation, John envisions this this river flowing from the throne of God, beside which is planted this tree of life. And this tree, he says, will bring healing to all the nations and will put an end to the And that imagery points all the way back to Genesis, when God put all kinds of of trees in the Garden of Eden, trees that were, were pleasing to the eye and good for food. Then in the middle of the garden, He puts the tree of life, which would lead to eternal life, and the tree of knowledge, which would lead to the eventual death of anyone who ate of it. And these trees represented a choice, a choice between trusting God and trusting in this relationship with God or or rebelling against God and choosing one's own path. And even though all of the trees of the garden were pleasing to the eye, there was one tree in particular that caught the eye of Adam and Eve. And of course, it wasn't the tree of life. It was the tree that was near that tree, the tree of knowledge. And so now in Revelation, God is restoring the picture of the perfect garden where God and man live in harmony. He's He's making everything new again. And the restoration, that restoration, is what Jesus came to initiate. Throughout his ministry, Jesus goes around saying things like, The kingdom of heaven has come near. Jesus' arrival ushers in this renewed nearness between God and his people. 
The Hebrews writer tells us that in Jesus, a better hope is introduced by which we draw near to God. But it's not just about us drawing near to God because our drawing near to God is made possible by God drawing near to us in Jesus. John tells us in his gospel account that in Jesus, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Literally what he says is the word became flesh and pitched its tent among us. In Jesus, God is making the decision to come near to us. Yeah, and, and as we saw with Abram and Lot, where you pitch your tent matters. What you are near matters. So one day, Abraham is, is out sitting underneath these, these great trees of Mamre, when he looks up and, and sees three visitors approaching. And the account begins with the narrator there telling us that the Lord appeared to Abraham near the great trees of Mamre. So Abraham, Abraham is, is near his favorite trees when God shows up in the form of these three visitors. And Abraham seems to realize that, that at least something special is happening here as it relates to these three visitors, even if he doesn't realize exactly who it is at first. He seems to by the end of it. Uh, but he doesn't miss this opportunity. He, he plays gracious host and he invites these three men in for a meal and, and he puts out this, this spread of food that would be fit for a king. And he ends up then playing host at a meal with God, which is a pretty cool thing to be able to say about yourself. And hosting visitors was an important aspect of ancient culture at this time anyway, where you didn't have readily available restaurants and, and hotels as you traveled. And so you were sort of dependent on, on those who you would meet on your journey to be hospitable and gracious. But beyond even that, meals and, and feasts are repeatedly connected to moments of, of reconciliation and covenants throughout the Old Testament. There's something special that happens when, when people share a meal together. Meals continue to play a large role then, even in Jesus' ministry. And, and one way that we draw near to each other and near to God is in the sharing of a meal, the sharing of the communion meal, a meal that is connected to our covenant in Christ and the hope that it brings. But, but I think we're getting a little ahead of ourselves. Oh, oh yeah, you're right. Sorry. <laughs> you know, we just kind of got rolling there and I just kind of got caught up in it. And <laughs> no, I get it. It fit. It, it, it was good. I just think, I think you've got some other stuff. To I, I, I know. I know. I know. You're right. Yeah. You're right. And so we'll, we'll come back to communion. We'll, we'll come back to that in just a few minutes. But uh, you know, I guess that means you're done. I think I can handle it from here. So, so thank you very much for, for coming and, and doing this with us today. I, I really appreciate it. Hey, anytime. So I, I guess I'll just hang, hang out yeah, over here. Yeah, that's fine. Till you're done. All right. Yep. Okay. Yeah. All right. Thanks. What a good guy. Just a, just a solid guy. Uh, so throughout his journey, Abraham stays near to God. Uh, God then makes a covenant with Abraham, and, and the promises of that covenant are extended 
even to us in this new covenant in Christ. A covenant through which we all are brought near to God in Christ. And so all of that then brings us to Ephesians 2. And I think we're going to see a lot of the concepts and and imagery and elements of the last few weeks all poured into this chapter. And so we're going to read this chapter in its entirety, and and then I'll make some comments and and share some thoughts. So this is beginning in, in Ephesians 2, verse 1. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms, in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands, Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross." by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. Consequently, you are no longer 
foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together and become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. And so this is, this is such a beautiful text about the, the unity that we experience in Christ. And, and you hear all this, these repeated terms and, and concepts in there. And, and how many times did he say, in Christ Jesus? And, and how many times did he point to this idea that these other things may keep us distant, but Christ pulls us in and, and pulls us near? And in this text, Paul is is specifically addressing Gentiles who at one point were not included in in the promise of the covenant of Abraham. And he says that now in Christ, this barrier that, that kept them separated and excluded has been removed. In Christ, those who once were far away, have been brought near. And I think we see repeatedly that the work of Christ in his life, in his death, and in his resurrection is about tearing down barriers that would keep people from experiencing loving community with each other and from realizing intimacy with God. It's about drawing near those who once were far away. We see this in his life as he invites in those who had been excluded, as he praises those who had been mocked, and as he reaches out to those who were left behind. We see this in his death as as the curtain of the temple is torn apart as he dies to, to symbolize this renewed access that now all have to the Father. We see this in his resurrection as Jesus breathes new life and and faith into those who are filled with despair and doubts and regrets. We see this in the early church in Acts when when the church leaders decide that as they welcome in these Gentile converts, that they should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. We see it throughout Paul's writing as he seeks to bring diverse people together under the banner of Christ. And we see it today when we go about the work of removing barriers and tearing down our own walls of hostility, when we love in self-sacrificial ways, we heed Paul's words to have the same mindset of Christ, and we experience nearness to God through our love displayed toward others. When we tear down walls of racism, misogyny, 
bigotry, homophobia, xenophobia, or any other type of of hostility or hatred, we carry on the work of bringing peace to the world in the name of Christ. This work tells the world that there is a path to peace that is achieved by love, by mutual respect, and finding commonality in Christ, who is our peace and in whom we form a temple in which God's Spirit pitches His tent. Our individual and collective hope is found in the God who is at work removing barriers through His Son, Jesus. And so, to borrow again from the Hebrews writer, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain, that is, his body, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. Each Sunday, we remember this living way opened for us through the body of Christ in the sharing of our communion meal, a meal that is is very much covenantal in nature. Covenant meals were were common in covenant-making ceremonies, as oftentimes the the two parties who were entering into this covenantal relationship would would share a, a meal together after going through some of these other sacrificial kind of rites and, and rituals, and they would all often take the, the animals that were, that were slaughtered, as we talked about a couple of weeks ago, and, and make a meal out of them and, and share in this meal to, to commemorate and to celebrate and to mark this covenant relationship. And so here's what one author then says about the connection between those meals and our communion meal. Communion with Christ, participation in the spiritual reality of God, involves covenantal responsibility. Whoever eats the sacrifice participates or communes in the altar. To eat from the Lord's table means to be committed to the Lord's covenant. To drink the Lord's cup is to renew our covenant with God through Christ. The communion of the altar in the new covenant meal is a communion with the body and blood of Christ, as well as communion of the many members as one body. The covenant meal means to share in the blessings of God's work in Christ. And the meal means that we come before him as the one covenant people of God. Our communion is a participation in the one spiritual reality which was created by the offering of the body and blood of Christ. As the body of Christ, we share that reality with each other. There is only one body. Though we, though there are many members, there is one body 
of fellowship, which is focused on Christ's work rather than the ministry of its diverse members. The covenant meal is a communal meal where the people of God are united to each other by the covenant with the one God. I think you can hear in those words a lot of similar languages and and allusions to what Paul was talking about in Ephesians 2, right? That, That Paul talks about that it is in the body of Christ, it is in the one body of Christ that these two disparate groups who at one point were were separated from each other and and even hostile towards each other, that, that because of the work of Christ on the cross and because of, of what, what happens in his body as he brings these two groups together, there is now peace and, and unity and communion between these two groups. And so too, we find that, that in this one body of Christ, we find our peace and our unity and our communion. And that we then together form the body of Christ. And so, as we share in communion this morning, while, while still being physically distanced from one another and, and somewhat still disconnected, May we feel the unity of the Spirit. May we feel our our connection because of the bond of Christ. And and may the truth that Christ has broken down the barriers between us as, as people and between us and God, may it wash over us in this moment of sharing of communion. And may the hope of the covenant fill you with strength, assurance, and faith today. And may it instill within you the confidence to draw near to God, because Christ has come near to you. In, in a time when, when I'm sure many things to us feel distant or far off, may we continue to find hope in a Savior who has come near to us. Let's pray now our prayer of confession together, and then we will share in this time of of communion and meditation and remembering the unity that we have as one body in Christ. We confess to each other and to you, our Creator, that we fall short of being what we were created to be and what we have committed ourselves to be. Hear Hear us, us, forgive forgive us, renew our our resolve resolve to build build the the kingdom kingdom of Christ. Christ. We often seek out the easiest paths, paths of least involvement in places where we might be uncomfortable, or paths of self-centeredness. Hear Hear us, us, forgive forgive us, us, renew our our resolve to build the kingdom kingdom of of righteousness. We confess that we have not loved you with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, and with all our strength. Bring us out of darkness, Lord, and into the light of your love. Hear Hear us, us, forgive forgive us, us, renew our our resolve resolve to build the kingdom kingdom of light. Forgive us for getting so caught up in the world's trappings and its false messages of hope that we lose sight of the hope of the kingdom, which brings healing and peace to a world in turmoil. Hear us, us, forgive us, us, renew our resolve to build the kingdom of peace. 
May we resolve to become more kingdom-minded, to be peacemakers here and now. Amen. Amen.